Um, last week we finished up Revelation 20, which just to recap, we talked about how chapter 20 described God's sovereign rule over um, all human history, including uh, the actions of Satan, and um, how God in chapter 20 was bringing judgment upon humanity for their works after a climactic final battle. Um, the chapter brought to a close. Uh, we talked about last week this uh, war that's been going on throughout the Old and New Testaments um, between um, uh, God and evil. Um, how this war was initiated by the serpent deceiving humanity in the garden and it comes to a uh, conclusion with the serpent's um, deceit of humanity to bring them in this final battle that ends up in the destruction um, of sinful humanity. So God used um, this hatred that's existed throughout history um, that we first saw when the seed of the serpent tried to destroy the seed of the woman in Genesis, um, how God uses that hatred and Satan's deception uh, as a means to deliver his saints into their eternal inheritance, protecting them from experiencing the second death that we saw at the end of chapter 20. Uh, and then the, most of our time last week we spent talking about judgment, uh, the judgment that followed this battle, and how the end of that judgment brought a second death for those whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we spent a lot of time talking about how um, it's uh, in this comparison of books in chapter 20, books that have written um, everyone's deeds uh, versus the Lamb's Book of Life and how much better it is to be judged by having your name written in the Lamb's Book of the Life than judged just on one's, what one has done. Um, today, the aftermath of this uh, judgment continues, but now the focus falls on the heavenly future of God's um, uh, saints, who are described as this new Jerusalem, this heavenly bride that are brought into a new heavens and earth where they'll dwell with God forever. So let's read, uh, I'll read uh, chapter 21 for us and then we'll pray. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned from her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people." And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, 
the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came out of the seven then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal." He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do worship you, a triune God. And as we think of this coming week, a week in which we uh, particularly remember uh, the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we look forward to this moment, uh, this resurrection, this new creation, where you transform uh, this world and sinful humanity and bring us into perfect peace and joy and contentment. Not at our physical circumstances which are described as glorious and beautiful, 
But the glory of that place you describe here is the God that dwells in the midst of it. And that uh, for this eternity, we will be remade and reflect the glory of our great and holy God. Lord God, give us a a taste of that uh, picture today. Help us to already see how the resurrection of Christ has already started to turn us into new creatures, transformed by your grace and your glory, to shine forth the light of your truth uh, in this present world, even if this world uh, rejects us, that we would keep um, enduring and seeking to overcome, Not again, not for our glory, but that we will be with the glorious one, that we will see the things eternal as the things that are real. Give us uh, the wisdom this morning as we approach the Scripture. Uh, Give us a sense of how it is supposed to um, change our hearts and wills and how we live in this world and testify to the grace and goodness of your gospel. For we ask it in Christ's name by the power of your Spirit. Amen. So chapter 21 starts off with a new heaven and a new earth. So my first question is, why? (laughs) Why do we need a new heaven and a new earth? (laughs) This is a starter universe. This is the, uh, what do they call the first trial run of a computer program? This this is the prototype, the alpha. (laughs) Version world 1.0. Okay, so this is um, something that, the the starter version, Rob's. Yes? Is this totally different items, or is it just burned up and then... Well, that's that's one of our questions. I think as we think about what it means to be a new heaven and a new earth, is it the old is completely (laughs) obliterated and we're starting from scratch, or is there some kind of continuity between the old and the new? Um, I think, Rob, the question you're asking is one of the things we want to think about. You know, as we think about um, particularly this word new, in what sense is this a new heaven and new earth? Yeah, Bill. All creation has been groaning, so I think we need one. <laughs> yeah, to sort of think um, of this is something that's uh, long expected, long hoped for. Um, and I, I love the picture of um, that uh, the earth itself is looking forward to this transformation. I mean, we could look, one of the reasons I asked the question is, I mean, we could sort of think of it in chapter 20, death and sin and evil has been removed. You know, we've solved the ethical problem. Um, The bad people are gone. (laughs) Um, But that's not enough, you know. Uh, Just having this, you know, ethical cleansing of the earth seems to be insufficient. And so, uh, and the idea that the earth itself is groaning to be uh, remade. So, a small answer to your question is that the together are a mess, aren't we? <laughs> um, is that God 
Um, it is quite amazing that the last three chapters of Revelation kind of unravel the first three chapters of Genesis um, as far as you know, God creating the heavens and the earth and creating man and then we uh, see evil and deception into the world and Revelation 20 is the undoing of that. Once I was thinking about your question last week of why more in Revelation 19, I was thinking, you know, it, throughout the week I was thinking, wouldn't that be horrible if God said, okay, all that was just kind of a, a joke, the word that was there in Genesis. Let's have cake and ice cream and a cup of tea and sit down peacefully together. Um, as a piece of literature, it's just, it's very fitting, isn't it? That what started off as war has to culminate in this battle of battles. And we see this creation much like creation in Genesis 1. Yeah, that this creation that's been... Um, you know, deformed by sin. And again, we often, because we're, well, because we're that way, you know, we, we're, we're very human-centric in our, you know, we fell in the garden, and so the idea is, you know, we just affected humanity, but we wreaked havoc on the entire creation. <laughs> you know, we unleashed death into this world. And, you know, the picture we're given in the prophets, uh, like Isaiah, you know, the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. You know, it's death is going to be removed, not just from the human experience, but, you know, from creation itself. Uh, the earth is not going to have this experience of death anymore. That's... That's astounding. Um, and, and as you say, I mean, it's the, the perfect kind of literary bookend to, um, to the entire scriptures. Um, and I, again, I, I talked about last year, starting off the study, how um, I've been scared, avoided, <laughs> fled away from the book of Revelation. But there really is, it's, it's a book. It's the last book, not just because it talks about the last things, but because it, it brings to a literary close all these themes that have run throughout the scriptures. And we see those themes in our passage again today. Yeah, Jonathan. Along well, the same lines, I really enjoyed uh, Chronicles of Narnia.
Yeah, and how this nature red in tooth and claw, you know, it's nature's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, it's been, um, you know, it's had havoc wreaked upon it. Um, again, the experience of death. Yes, Andy, sorry. Well, it's interesting that in Genesis, of course, part of the creation is day and night, and now it's the more night. But clearly, it's not this world as we know it. Yeah, or it's... It's definitely something different, or something has changed in the way that we live in the world. Maybe like happened in Joshua. Yeah, the way that it's been, and, and the idea that... Um, that you know, with the, the in Genesis, it, it's there will always be day and night. You know, it, it sort of you know until the world. So day and night, night is sort of a constant presence uh, in our world from Genesis chapter one until now. Um, this idea that uh, darkness not being there. Um, my assumption would be yes, but that's just an assumption. Um, again, I think this goes to um, to Tara's question about is there any more birth? Um, you know, what we're given here is a picture of uh, that emphasizes, I, I would say, the redemptive aspects. Um, you know, what the creation itself looks like isn't as important as the the kind of redemptive stage that's, that's been set here. Um, that this is the culmination of redemption. Um, never, I'd have to look and see what, what fathers say about... They, I always look to the church fathers for things. They thought a lot more about heaven than we ever do. Um, so surely someone at some point raised the idea of you know, will there be birth in heaven? Um, or, or, you know, will species continue to repopulate? Or will God just, you know, make the food we need and, you know, everything um, is peace and contentment? And that's certainly, I mean, as we think about um, what's new about this world, um, so that could be different. Um, you know, to think what things were told away, um, Andy's pointed to one, no more night. That's very different. One of the first things I thought of when we were talking about no more death is fall. I love the fall leaves, but the fall leaves are created because, in a sense, a type of death, so I don't know. Well, there'd be seasons, yeah. Again, I mean, we're not given that kind of doesn't go into, will there still be winter? I mean, because winter has its beauties, but winter is, you know, things being dead, it's dormant. With Jonathan's comment, um, we started taping that frozen planet. Seen that. And the shots are just extraordinary, and it's just amazing that they could get. But after watching, like, one, I said to Jerry, I don't know if I can watch this, because it's all these animals killing each other, and... And it's like, I'm not sure I'd let kids watch this. I mean, it's just it's spectacular, but it's, 
a picture of what we're talking about. Andre. Yeah, I, I think that circular culmination of the human heaven and human birth really shows us what's ultimate, how we want, how we desire to be traditional, and, and how we then accomplish that at this phase in this redemptive history. Um, especially, I think, there is a movement within Christianity, especially today, to kind of accept that pain and suffering, even in the animal world, is not that bad. That uh, God used that to create this world. He used, obviously, uh, survival of the fittest. He used, you know, predation and whatever activity to create this world. Which to me, the scriptures clearly follows from the truth, and yet Christian doesn't want to compromise. That's my personal opinion that, like John was saying, did God create this way of the creation where you can inject something in your brain and it turns to life? Did God create that? Or was that a result of Adam's sin? Which you Yeah, and the scripture story is is seems to be this covenantal approach that this is a result of human sin, um, and everything that we try to to erect um, uh, is incomplete, impartial. And again, to sort of think what's different about this new heaven and new earth is um, uh, you know this. This idea that the old was characterized by affliction and death, and this new is being characterized by uh, this eternal, joyful dwelling with God. Um, to sort of think of all the old, the things in this world are temporary. They pass away. You know, um, fall is beautiful, but fall is like that. Um, spring is beautiful, but in New England, it's really short. <laughs> um, you know, to sort of think of of these things. Uh, you know the. Um, and I can't remember if it was you, Andre, or Mike, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the, you know, the the image of a wedding, that the joy we normally associate with, you know, the act of of marriage, that it's it's being depicted as that, as at the moment of inaugurating a marriage, and the joy of that moment, and that it's it's that joy that you experience at the at the wedding feast. Carries forward forever. You know, was you know we think of joy as those kind of temporary respites that we get in the midst of you know the other kinds of life's afflictions. What is it like to have enduring, eternal joy? Um, you know, we're so used in this world to think of those things as fleeting. You know, um, you know we can have it, and we know it can slip away. But you know the eternal joy that's being depicted here. Even before we fell, and God says His creation is good. He doesn't say it's perfect. This sounds perfect. This does sound perfect. 
Which sort of leads to my next question. Why does the perfect world have no sea? No sea. No sea. Well, it, the sea is a symbol of the scripture of the Gentiles and the unbelievers. Uh, you know, the yeah, so to think about, to sort of think, you know, as it describes the world being remade, some of its portrait is, is symbolic. Um, and to sort of think of the absence of the sea. So the sea is the nations, the unbelieving nations in particular, and that's especially, um, John's been using it, uh, the sea as uh, um, an image for the rebellion nations. Um, somebody said judgment, I think. Um, so we've seen that image of sea. Yeah, so the sea's divided. You have this division of land and sea. Um, we'll come back to that. Yeah, Tim. Um, the reason I say the sea was no more is because it's the exact same uh, phrase that's used in uh, verse 4. Death shall be no more, even though it's the exact same wording. Um, so the idea that um, it, there's a connection between sea and death. Uh, so I, I, the reason I bring it up is the sea, I think, is to what Rob is saying, is, is it's supposed to make all these symbolic con connections. Um, and just what have we just prior to this had the sea, the previous, most previous reference to sea in Revelation before? Does anybody remember? And, yeah, the sea is a, a container of death, like um, like death in Hades. You know, a repository of the dead. And again, this is not. You know, I, I like the ocean. I like the beach. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I write about people's lives on the sea. The sea is very much at the focal point of my my everyday experience. But um, you know, as I write about uh, ship life. Um, this, there's this way the sea um, is fundamentally the most inhospitable aspect of, of our world. You know, um, nobody can live on it permanently. Um, you know, uh, nobody can dwell in it without some kind of outside. There, in the scriptures, the Old Testament uses this image. The sea is chaos. The sea is death. Um, and sometimes I think we miss that kind of symbolic. So um, to go the sea no more doesn't mean there's not going to be a literal physical ocean. That it's again another way of saying, you know, all these connotations, symbolic connotations of sea, sea as death, sea as the unbelieving nations, um, sea as um, you know. Earlier we saw the sea as this. Um, fundamental aspect of Babylon's industry, its economy. You know, all these ships plying back and forth across the sea. The sea as separator um, I think is an interesting... The sea as uh, a literal divider of people. Again, I, I 
you know, things I teach. Um, I teach uh, Atlantic world history, and you know, we talk about what's different after 1492 is you know these two you know hemispheres that have been totally cut off from one another, and how have they been totally cut off by this, these oceans? You know, the sea as barrier separating humanity from humanity. Um, you know, this new heavens and the new earth, you know, one of the things we're seeing are barriers being removed. <laughs> it's kind of like the internet. Um, uh, barriers being removed, the things that separate people from people. Um, to think of, you know, we're, you know, we'll talk about some more next week. This no temple idea, but the thing I want to talk about now to think about the earthly temple. The earthly temple had all these barriers. You know, Gentiles can only go this far. Jews can only go this far. The high priest can go this far, but only one day out of the year. Uh, you know, to sort of think of, you know, these different things, you know, barriers. So to have no more temple means there's not going to be any more of these things that separate humanity from humanity and humanity from God. Um, that, you know, the things that divide us. Um, uh, verse, um, let's see, where is it? Um, Verse three, um, uh, he will be, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Does anybody have anything different for people? Sometimes you get translated peoples, um, and you know, there's, you know, why translate it peoples? The emphasis on what used to be this kind of exclusive. Uh, location of God's presence in one nation, now God's presence among all nations. Um, and that, again, the emphasis in this chapter is on the glory of God coming to all nations. By its light will nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Plural. That it's this, you know, all these barriers that have separated uh, people are, are going to be removed. Um, and, you know, to sort of think about that being, you know, a great image of what is being remade here. You know, George. I think when I think about all these guys, I think one of the things the absence of sin is what And to think of the way um, sinful humanity, we take difference, you know, differences between people, and we use it to to self, you know, for all these sort of selfish purposes. Um, you know, we sort of create other nations as the other that you know it's okay to kill them because they're not us. All those kinds of fundamental barriers that are erected um, by human beings are a result of sin. And, you know, once we pull those out, there can be 
um, this heavenly peace that we see result here. Yeah, Jonathan. of um, the things, uh, how redemption itself is woven throughout this this new heavens and new earth. And I think, again, I did not plan this at all, <laughs> but Revelation 21, I've decided, is a great thing to think about during Easter. <laughs> um, because there is this way that... You know, just as the Old Testament had, you know, created um, all these proxies that pointed to Christ, how Christ's resurrection points to the new experience that we're going to have with with God, um, and the newness uh, there. Um, uh, Greek has two words for new. Um, you can have new in the sense of time. So, and that's our word uh, neos, uh, uh, new. But it also has this word kainos that means new in quality. And that's the word um, the scriptures use over and over again to talk about us. And it uses it to talk about the future. Um, oh, where's my verse? Uh, for example, um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So to think about the way, um, as we think about this heavenly experience, um, don't disconnect it from the gospel as we experience it now. Um, to think about you know, um, the way that the cross of Christ and then you know, that, that act of resurrection inaugurates this new heaven and earth. And it's not a fundamentally uh, different kind of, of pattern. It's the same pattern, the same hope we've seen throughout scriptures. This idea that God himself will be them as their God. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. Where have we seen that before? Israel. Uh, I will be your God and I will tabernacle among you. And the creation of this physical tabernacle that's in the center of the Israelites' camp, and they're camped all around it, that is the, uh, a physical pointer of this heaven reality, that to dwell with God, except now God is dwelling amongst people with no barrier with nothing, um, uh, you know, no worries about uh, sin tainting this relationship. No worries about being in the presence of a holy God. Um, but it's the same. You know, the, the, the impulse is the same. The desire uh, that we've seen in Genesis with Abraham. You know, I'll be your God and through you all the nations will be blessed. 
This is the fulfillment of that. It's inaugurated. Uh, it's been the message from, from Genesis till now. But now we're seeing the same gospel come to its permanent fulfillment. And we, that's what we claim to experience now in this life. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, that 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 moment, um, you know, the thing that had kept people out of the holy of holies is torn. You know, it's rent in two. So now, this uh, people through Christ, He inaugurates at that moment um, the thing that we see consummated here: that humanity is now able to dwell with God. Other ways, you, you know, we see this, this story we see culminated here, this gospel we see culminated here in other places in the scripture. You know, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Um, and to sort of think of, you know, we're we're all going to be inhabiting this this space. Um, we'll talk more about the the city of Jerusalem next week, but um, you know, it's it's not being described. You know, we usually think of a city as, you know, multiple dwelling places. This is a city that's being described in terms of its spatial dimensions, but not by how many houses are in it. You know, it's we're being given this a picture of well, it's an enormous cube, <laughs> or if you take some people, it's an enormous pyramid. Um, all right, so those are our two options: enormous cube or enormous pyramid. Um, always like uh, I remember when the Hubble spacecraft was first um, sent up, and after they gave it its corrective lens and they started getting these, you know, really intense pictures of deep space. One of the tabloid magazines had Hubble's spacecraft discovers heaven. <laughs> and it's this big giant floating cube through space. Um, you know, but to, again, to think of the, the symbol we're being given here um, is this absence of divisions and this um, permanence of God's dwelling with us. Um, and again, to sort of think of how that is the perfect picture of what we say in the gospel happens. Um, that, you know, we're dead and we're raised to new life in Christ and He dwells in us. Um, and, you know, that relationship now is still tainted by sin. What's that relationship going to be like where sin and death is no more? One of the things when I think about heaven, I mean, it's, I just don't think we really understand what it's going to be like. And I think about us and the fact that I think that there's going to be work here because work was created before the fall. But I think often we think of heaven as a place where we're just going to be lounging around and he's full on just going to be praising God. And some of us think, that sounds boring. But I, I think there's actually going to be work for us to do. 
it will be untainted by sin. But I, you know, I just don't think we have a picture of what things are really going to be like. Yeah, and the thing that John is emphasizing, you know, we have all the questions about, and they're perfectly logical, rational, they're human questions, but the picture John is giving us, the central point of heaven is, I mean, notice how many times in verse 3, um, uh, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You know, how many times dwelling, being with, you know, the focus is on this, um, this relational aspect um, that then issues forth in all these other things. You know, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Um, it's the removal of sin and death and all its effects. Um, and, you know, what else accompanies that? We're not told. But we know what it's going to be. It's going to be the permanent, uh, un, um, unmediated presence of God. Um, that, and because we're in that permanent, unmediated presence of God, there's no sin, there's no death, there's no tears, there's no mourning, there's no pain, there's no affliction. Um, that relationship and that perfect relationship perfects everything else about our experience. And we don't know what that experience is going to be like. Rob, you had your hand and then I'll come forward. And actually, I'll go ahead and give you one of the next week's questions is, which is it more hard, or which is harder to understand, um, or harder to picture? The heaven as depicted by the physical description we're given, or the new city of Jerusalem as depicted as, you know, this cube and walls and, you know, all these stones. Is that harder to imagine, or is it harder to imagine a world with no sin and its consequences, no death? Um, no mourning, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go there. Chris? I think there's a lot of compelling imagery here that, that points us to, to the not yet. But that one of the things that got my attention was the, 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 passage, the part of the passage where, where it speaks of uh, to the thirsty... I will give the spring of water of life without payment. And that sort of harkens back to Isaiah 55 and that whole passage about coming and feasting and why, why pay for things that don't satisfy when there is something that satisfies without payment. And I think that that gives us a compelling message for the already part of what Christ has done and its implications for us and our joy, because the, the Isaiah passage, after it, it, it points out the sort of foolishness of paying for things that, that don't satisfy, it talks about how you go out in 
joy and be led forth in peace. And then it uses a lot of this same sort of language that points forward where it says the mountains and hills will burst forth in song before you, all the trees in the field will clap their hands. And and I think that there's a there's a transitional aspect to the to redemptive history that we've replaced it right now, uh, prior to being in heaven. And I think that there's a joy that we can experience regardless of our circumstances that sometimes we miss out on. But looking forward to heaven, I think, is is something that we should be doing. But we should also be looking forward to the joy of our salvation, the power that the gospel has to, to, to really enter our lives in, in a manner that will fill us with a joy in spite of our circumstances that we can grasp onto even now. And so I think that, you know, the, the, that whole, the, the whole notion that Revelation 21 has a lot to say uh, as we look forward to Easter, I think is correct. And I think a lot of this stuff is here right now because Christ has come. He is risen. And we have that to inform our lives regardless of our circumstances and to find the joy that he has for us even when things might not be as pretty as they will be when the new heavens and the new earth come and all of the shatteredness of creation has been obliterated. Yeah, the way Christ emphasizes the immediacy of our access, again, particularly that Isaiah prophecy, um, you know, with his encounter with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, you know, well, I can give you water that you don't have to come fetch every day. You know, it's an eternal spring. And she's like, that's what I want. And, and then he presents the, you know, the gospel to her. Um, it, it is the way that uh, um, John here is emphasizing um, this aspect of the future is inaugurated in the presence with Christ's resurrection. Um, that, and you know, think of all those promises that we have in the scriptures of, you know, the Holy Spirit. You know, sort of think of, you know, here He will wipe away from their, every tear from their eyes. You know, what's one of the chief um, synonyms we use for the Holy Spirit? Comforter. Um, you know, what's the, one of the chief ways we think about um, what it means to be born again? That God dwells in us. You know, that Christ, you know, we don't have to, to go to an external temple for anymore because Christ dwells in our hearts. Um, the way that uh, heaven is just a perfection of what God has started now in our experiences here. Um, and to sort of lead to my, my final question, and again, this is something I, you know, it's throughout Revelation we've stated the purpose of the book was to encourage Christians in the present. You know, it's not a roadmap just uh, relevant to the people living in the actual final days, but this is a God's message to Christians in all ages, all present times, how to live faithful lives of witness. Um, so how does this description of heaven um, help us to live in the present. And I think it's exactly what Chris has been you know, pushing us toward. Well, I think the Old Testament says that the glory of God fills the earth and we should look and see it. Maybe some of you have seen this picture. It's a picture that Jane found in our backyard on a lawn about a month ago. A little snow 
And what I was doing is kind of a picture of the earth today. It has just devoured a red squirrel. Ate it completely. And it was so happy there with a full tummy. We just stayed in that place. We went out very close to it. Went in the car, took off, drove around, came back in a few hours. It was still standing there. <laughs> but I this is kind of as a picture. The fact that we can see beauty and glory here. But uh, it's like, you know, killing another thing to survive. Yeah, to think of, um, I have to go back. It's one of those things that, um, a phrase that stuck with me and I use it so much I forget who I'm supposed to attribute it to. <laughs> um, but he talked about this very idea that creation is glorious and how much more glorious is God's recreation of fallen sinners. Um, and I've been thinking of that phrase this week. So, you know, that again, we have... Uh, you know, heavens and earth sing the glories of God, but redemption, even more pointedly, you know, gives us this picture of who God really is. And, you know, heaven is that permanent experience of that dwelling with God. Yeah, Victor. The ending to the Guardian not last week, you know, is it may sound uh, radical, but I'd like to propose that the new heavens and new earth are already here. The new heaven is according to Revelation 21, and it's coming, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. The, new, the word is used all over the place, the new Jerusalem is coming down. The new heavens and new earth are here, and they were here ever since. The new covenant was formally reenacted at the cross, but the destruction of Jerusalem is covered in, in, in Revelation. And I would say that it's kind of like a spaceship when the new Jerusalem touches Earth, that would be a point, you know, when, you know, the end of the thousand years and the adjustment and everything is over. But the point I'm trying to make is that the new Jerusalem, the new Earth and the new heaven are are here. It's just that the, 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 the culmination is not, is not completed yet. So we are actually living in the new earth. In the new earth because the gospel is open up to all nations. God is calling to elect, you know, not from no, not the Jews, but from those who are outside Jerusalem. And he made that clear because he wiped out the borders and not only in the temple, but the city itself. And I like that proposal because, um, and again, we, we've got to end um, for today, but we'll come back to 21 next week. You know, as we look at what are the, you know, what's this new uh, city? I mean, first of all, the city is a bride. And, you know, who's the bride? The church. Um, what's the city constructed out of? People, <laughs> so living stones, um, to see that uh, there again. This is inaugurated in our, you know, our lifespan. We haven't seen the culmination of it, but it's, you know, it's created in our midst, in the presence of God uh, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, with the church. 
um, with those living stones that God has raised up. Um, again, uh, this is something, uh, the, the kind of construction of the city. But again, the way that you know, a, a personal, a bride, something we think of as, you know, a very personal, intimate thing, is this city. Again, you know, not the kind of symbolic, as if I wrote this in a paper, you know, Grant Wacker would say, Steve, you're mixing your metaphors again. Stop mixing your metaphors. <laughs> um, but the way that this, you know, these two different metaphorical images are linked. Um, and they're both uh, relational, personal, and in our present experience. Um, yeah, Jonathan, and then we'll... So Yeah, and the physical, that element of the, you know, again, the physical connections um, of some of the elements is something I want to come back to next week. But again, to end with this idea of um, the picture we're being given here should not be new. It's the culmination of everything, um, all the promises we've been given throughout scriptures. This And this image of... Um, you know, the way God says to Moses, you know, I'm going to make you into a kingdom of priests. You know, that's what we're seeing here. The final realization of that, that we have experience of, real experience of now in the here and now, as Victor was saying, that it's already present. It's just <laughs> the mothership hasn't landed. I'm going to have a hard time getting that one out of my head. <laughs> um, it just hasn't, you know, hit that final permanent touchstone. And again, to sort of think what's different about this new heavens and earth, permanence seems to be uh, characteristic of it. Um, you know, it tr it's transformed, it's permanent, uh, it's without death and sin, um, and it's this dwelling with God. Uh, unmediated access to the presence of God that we, again, taste now, that we experience now, that we have access to now because of the resurrection of Christ. All right, let's pray. Almighty God, fill us with the joy of your gospel that you have already conquered sin and death through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that you have already brought life. You've already made us into a new creation through that gospel. That because He rose from the dead to life, we have life. That we who are dead in our sin and trespasses can now have life and relationship with God and experience the indwelling of our God. Help us to live in this world as people transformed. To not cling to the old things. To not cling to the things 
that are passing away, but to hold fast to this eternal gospel that you've given to us and have planted in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us worship with that sense of overwhelming joy of your glorious gospel that we celebrate in the resurrection of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.